Our topic today is decisions, decisions. Would you agree with me that life is basically a series of choices that we make every single day? We have to evaluate, decide, draw conclusions. Frank Borum said, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. Some of you are gonna to have to make difficult decisions this very week. Some are gonna affect whole seasons of your life, but at the time you make that decision, you don't realize how pretentious it actually is. You don't know it yet, but each and every one of us have major decisions coming up tomorrow. Why? Because life is a series of decisions. Sometimes as we drive down the road of life, we come to dangerous intersections. Statistics show that the majority of accidents happen at intersections. In 2019, in fact, State Farm Insurance rated the most dangerous intersection for accidents in the United States of America. Can you guess where it was? The winner, or loser, was the corner of Beltline Road and Midway Road in Addison, Texas. There were 301 reported crashes at that intersection, which is in a suburb of Dallas. That averages out to almost one crash per day, not counting all the unreported fender benders. Now we also have intersections in our lives, and we don't always have a handle in advance on every intersection that we come to. Financial intersections, relational intersections, family intersections, work intersections. And when we go into these intersections, we need all the help we can get. Krishna, Supreme Personality of Godhead, offers his omniscience. Vedaham samati tani bartamani babishani mamtu veda nikashana. Krishna says, I know past, present, and future. I know what's coming at you from the other direction of that intersection. I know where the dead ends are. I know where the drunk drivers are. I know where the dangerous curves are. I know where the flooded roads are. So why don't you let me help you navigate the intersections of life? Saw a cartoon, a fellow named Brian was having a job interview and the personnel director asked him the question, Brian, how are you making decisions? Brian answered, do you need the answer right away? Spanish work is without a doubt much tougher crowd than Salt Lake City. I mean, I just experienced that week after week for over 30 years. Another funny quote I heard a man saying, I used to be indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> At least I'm gonna laugh. I'm gonna have a good time, even if you guys aren't. <laughs> so sometimes life seems to pull us apart in different directions, divided loyalties, divided priorities, and this dividedness, otherwise known as double-mindedness, can be devastating and debilitating, makes you unstable, confused. Double-mindedness is another word to describe a drunk who's staggering, reeling, unstable in every way. Now, would you agree with me that this is a fairly good definition of a miserable person? One, cannot form any lasting relationships because cannot make any commitment often takes an indecisive person more energy deciding to do something than the actual doing of it. First point. Two, switching careers, switching majors in schools, switching partners. Three, telling your children one thing one day and then telling them something else another day. Or worse yet, telling your children one thing one day and then having them watch you do the opposite another day. 
So why are we talking about indecisiveness? Because indecisiveness keeps you from God's greatness. People say, well, why doesn't Krishna or God answer my prayers? Well, maybe you're not specific enough. Maybe you never decided what you want and you don't have a clear-cut goal to ask for. Now, how many of us want to do God's work but our own work at the same time? How many of us know what's right but we do wrong anyway? How many of us sing hymns and mantras on Sunday and on Mondays or AWL? Now, here's a story I'm going to share with you of someone. At least he has a consistent character. John Blanchard stood up from the bench, straightened his uniform, and studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station in New York City. He looked for a girl whose heart he knew but whose face he didn't, the girl with the rose. Thirteen months earlier, he was going through a book in the Florida library and he saw notes in the margin. He found himself intrigued by these notes, not so much with the words of the books, but the notes penciled in the margin. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and an insightful mind. In front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Miss Hollands Maywell. Finally, he located her address. She lived in New York City. He wrote her a letter introducing himself, inviting her to correspond. Next day, he was shipped overseas for World War II. During the next 13 or 14 months, the two grew to know each other through the mails. Each letter was a seed, as it were, falling on a fertile heart. Looked like a romance was budding. Blanchard asked for a photograph, but she refused. She felt that if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, 7 p.m. at Grand Central Station in New York. You'll recognize me, she said, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. Blanchard, in his own words, tells what happened. A young woman came towards me, her figure long and slim, her blonde hair lay her back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness. In her pale green suit, she was like a springtime come alive. I started towards her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. <laughs> As I moved, a small provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, soldier, she joked. Almost uncontrollably, I made a step closer to her. Then I saw someone standing almost directly behind the girl, wearing a rose. <laughs> a woman, well past 40 graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump, thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned me and upheld my own. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. <laughs> Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. I did not hesitate. Now here's where the character comes in. I gripped the small, worn blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but it would be something precious, something perhaps even better than love, a friendship for which I have been and must ever be grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted and held out the book to the woman. I am Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Mayno. I'm so glad you could meet me. May I take you to dinner? And the woman's face widened in a smile. 
She said, I don't know what all this is about, son, but the young lady in the green suit who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat and said that if you were to ask me out to dinner, I should tell you that she is waiting for you in that big restaurant across the street. She said it was some sort of a test. It's not difficult to understand and even admire Miss Maynell's wisdom. The true nature of a decisive, consistent heart is in its response to the unattractive, the unappealing. Tell me whom you love, a great author wrote, and I will tell you who you are. Now, the solution to get wisdom for our life's choices comes in three steps. First is to admit you need help. Second, to ask for wisdom. And third is to anticipate an answer to your prayers. Abraham Lincoln knew how to admit his need. This is what he said. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. Admit your need. Now the world is impressed with knowledge, Google, but Krishna God is impressed with Wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. Wisdom is making the same decisions that Krishna or God would make. It is said that when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But when humility comes, then comes wisdom. Pride blocks wisdom. You can't learn anything after all if you think you know it all anyway. If you don't face up, to your lack of wisdom, then it stands to reason you're never going to ask for it. It's the arrogant person that thinks they never need advice. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, the great dying king Maharsh Prikit, he says to the sage Sukadeva Goswami, Tatash Chava, Prichami Mukpashe, Vishabi Bipa Kriyatkaram, Sarvat Manimanashitim, Sura Tatatam Satabhyaktaham. Oh, trustworthy Brahman, I ask you now about my immediate duty. Please, after proper deliberation, tell me of the unalloyed duty of everyone in all circumstances and specifically of those who are about to die. So here is a case of a sincerely inquisitive disciple, a man who's looking for wisdom during the last seven days of his life, and a sage practiced and submerged in the principles and wisdom texts of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, and Chaitanya Sri. It's a perfect match, like a fertile woman and a potent husband. When you have the combination of a sincere seeker and a qualified teacher, something amazing is going to take birth. Krishna described as the origin of all knowledge, the ocean of wisdom. Krishna, our loving Father, is pleased when we, his children, his parts and parcels, ask him for wisdom. When we ask him for wisdom, he reciprocates by giving us knowledge, influence, leverage, property, long life. Now, how do you get wisdom? By listening and staying up at the late show, by reading Cosmopolitan magazine, watching TV or DVDs? Well. The way you get wisdom is the way you get anything else. You ask for it. Ask of your loving Father, and He will not withhold it. 
Everything is Krishna's, everything originates and rests in Krishna. So we have to ask Krishna for wisdom. And that consists in knowing what Krishna wants us to do with his property. This body is his property. My family is his property. My income is his property. My home is his property. My transportation is property. Wisdom consists in, Krishna, what do you want me to do with all these things with which you've gifted me? Ask for wisdom before you pick up the phone. Before you walk into that meeting, ask for wisdom. Before a property acquisition, ask for wisdom in our marriages. Ask for wisdom how to parent our children. Ask for wisdom to help us on the job. Ask for wisdom to deal with difficult relationships. Ask for wisdom to minister to others. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Admit your need, ask for wisdom, and then expect an answer in faith. Doubt is debilitating. Oh, I knew I wouldn't get it. Well, if you didn't believe that you weren't going to get it, why did you ask in the first place? The reason you don't have wisdom is because you're looking at the problem and you're not looking at your God. This giant problem, how am I ever going to solve it? I'm backed in a corner. My enemies are too powerful. It's impossible. Thinking like that is going to make you think that you're a victim of circumstance. You have to rather believe in advance that you're going to get the answer to your prayers. You're going to get the wisdom that you're asking for, and so therefore you're thankful in advance. Gratitude, someone said, giving thanks for your presence before you unwrap them. Krishna God has inexhaustible resources. Krishna God is the model for giving. He gives not begrudgingly, he gives joyfully, he gives cheerfully, he gives continuously, he gives open-handedly. He is a giving God. The Sri Yajapana said, Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnapurnam Purnasya Purnamidam Purnamiva Vashishate. The Lord is complete and perfect and everything emanating from him is also completely perfect. Although we talk about overpopulation, this world is in fact more than equipped to handle a population of 10 times its size, provided we live a simple, non-violent, God-conscious lifestyle. He's not only the giving God, but he's the God who keeps on giving. We have to do our part and use things as he would use them. Recognize that he is the proprietor, he is the owner, and take his direction for using the things that he's given us. And when you do that, that's the secret of prosperity. Because when you invest the things that Krishna has given you wisely, then he's happy with the way that you've used it. And guess what? He gives you more. So we should learn to give generously, open-handedly, continuously in the same way that God gives. Never be embarrassed to ask is our first point. Never be embarrassed to receive. Krishna or God doesn't resent your asking. Rather, he's poised. He's eager. He's waiting for you to ask. He wants to give. He delights in giving to you, provided that what he gives to you, you pass on and you use responsibly. Draupadi was dragged into the public assembly, as we read in the Mahabharata. Draupadi had this big, powerful warrior who was pulling her sari off of her. She's 90 pounds, soaking wet. He's like 280, all muscle. She's kind of double-minded. First, she's holding on her sari with both hands, but she's obviously outmatched. 
Then she thought, well, I'll hold on to my sari with one hand and I'll raise my other hand and ask her, Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. She did that, but she was still losing the battle. The sari was still coming off. Finally, she put her indecisiveness, her double-mindedness behind her, and she decided to totally depend on Krishna. She let go of her sari altogether and with an undivided mind, rapt attention, complete faith, she said, Krishna, go binda. In the natural, she had no way of preventing herself from being stripped naked and humiliated in the public. But Krishna is a supernatural God. And as soon as she put aside her double-mindedness and single-mindedly surrendered to Krishna, Krishna appeared on the other side of Draupadi in a subtle form. And as much sorry as Dissasan was pulling off, Krishna was doling it out. Nobody could see it except Draupadi herself. But Krishna was supplying the sari as fast or even faster than Dasasana could pull in. Finally, Dasasana, these big, strong, we're strong, tough people, gym rats, they can't run marathons. So he finally exhausted Draupadi was saying. In our lives, would you agree with me that double-mindedness most often occurs regarding money? Most people make unwise decisions and foolish choices regarding their finances more so in that area than in any other area. We are created to love people and use money. Money is only a tool, it's not a goal. But unfortunately, more often in this day and age, we love money and we use people in order to get money. It is said, your heart is where your money is. So our encouragement today is don't set yourself up for disappointment. Idol worship is defined as leaning on, depending upon, counting upon things which are temporary. Your bank balance, your income, your job, your place of employment, your provision is temporary. Real provider is Krishna. Instead of leaning on temporary things, lean on Krishna as your provider. He'll never let you down. Leaning on anything other than the Supreme Lord fits the definition of idol worship. Don't depend on temporary things for your security. Depend on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's kind of echoed in a poem I'd like to share with you. Long did I toil and found no earthly rest. Far did I roam and found a certain home, until at last I sought them in his sheltering breast, who opens his arms and bids the weary come. With him I found a home, a rest divine, and I sent some of his, and he is mine. With him as friend I'm rich with not beside, and poor without him, though of all possessed changes may come, I take or I resign. Content while I am his, and he is mine. Changes may come, but in him no change is seen. He's like a glorious sun that wanes not nor declines. He walks above the storms and clouds serene, and on his devotees inward darkness shines. While here, alas, I know but half his love, but half discern him, and but half adore. But when I meet him in the realms above, I hope to love him fully, praise him more, and show and tell among the kirtans divine how fully I am his, and he is mine. Krishna gave us free will. He has free will. He's a supreme independent. We're parts and parcels, qualitative one with him. So we're created with free will embedded within us. But he didn't give us free will then to have to himself correct and override the decisions in your life. God gave you directly and personally a whole bunch of responsibility when he gave you the freedom to choose. So he wants you to make the decisions he doesn't want to do for you what you can do for yourself. He wants you to make the decisions, but 
He wants you to make those decisions based on his wisdom. God wants you to grow, to mature. Now, where do you need wisdom in what area of your life? What's the big decision looming? Is it a career decision? A marriage decision? Is it a kid's decision? Is it an investment decision? Christian is not going to make that decision for you. Spiritual maturity is learning how to make the decisions that Krishna would make were he deciding on your behalf. If you're indecisive, don't blame that on Krishna. Have you ever said or heard anyone say, I don't know which way to turn, I don't know what to do. Therefore, I'm going to accept whatever happens and call that God's will. Fact is that Krishna or God's will is not always done, at least not his higher will, his best will for our life. Everything that happens is not necessarily what Krishna would prefer for us in our lives. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done on earth as it is on heaven. That means his will is done on heaven, but it's hardly ever done on earth. Why? Because we want to do it our way. We want to be self-centered. We don't want to let Krishna be the Lord, the life manager in our lives. In uh, biblical times, when people went out in dark, they had what they call a little foot lamp. It was a tiny candle that was attached to their big toe. It only threw light one or two feet up ahead. But it helped you as you navigated the darkness not to walk on a snake, not to walk on sharp stones, not to go on a cliff. It gives you guidance. It's not like a high beam on your car that shows everything that's going to happen 200 yards down the road. Similarly, the foot lamp is not going to show you what's going to happen in your life one year down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. Krishna doesn't, in fact, want you to know that. If you knew all that, where would be your faith? He wants you to take one day at a time, trusting in him. The energy that we have, the wisdom that we have, it is said is sufficient to this day. One poet said, Today was hard, tomorrow will be harder still. Yet God is kindly placed between a threefold screen, a sunset sky, sleeps downy wings, and a dawn that sings, that we may face each day apart with tranquil heart. Krishna is saying, I'm not going to give you wisdom for three, four, five steps down the road, but I will give you wisdom for the next step, and you'll have to trust me for the steps following that. Now, is everything caused by chance, or does choice play a role? Are we victims of circumstance? Or is the quality of our life determined by the decisions and choices that you make and the wisdom behind those decisions? Can I tell you, the ultimate cause of frustration in my life and your life is not indecision over your job, indecision over your marriage, over your kids or your health, although those are very important. There's a deeper issue, which is my inability to trust Krishna God lay it all in his hands and ask for wisdom. Where, ask yourself, are you double-minded? Where have you been wavering and try to live two different ways? Try to live for the Lord on Sunday and then downplaying it during the week. The greatest decision you'll ever make is who's going to be number one in your life. Are you going to be number one? Is your job going to be number one? Is your truck going to be number one? Is your gun collection going to be number one? Is your political party going to be number one? Your family going to be number one? Is money going to be number one? I'm here to tell you there's only one thing 
that will produce stability in your life. Lord, I want you to be number one. I want you to call the shots. I want you to be the chairman of the board. I'm going to check in with you on a regular basis, daily, hourly, by the minute, by the second. I want you to guide my life. I want to find the niche for which I was created. The smartest decision you'll ever make is to put Krishna or God number one in your life and get into sync with his plan. Unfortunately, we choose most often to do what we want without ever checking in with the Lord. We're separated from Krishna. Krishna feels far away. He feels pushed away, remote, distant. And this evening, through me, he's trying to close the gap. Some of you don't even know it, but you've got an important decision coming up about your future. But the most important decision is not about your marriage. It's not about your business. The most important decision is from where you're going to get your wisdom. Where are you going to get your instructions for life? We challenge you today to get your wisdom from your Heavenly Father, creator of millions and millions of universes. He doesn't want to be pushed away from you. Bring him back by praying, Krishna, I need your wisdom. I admit I've made bad choices without consulting you. I've made bad decisions. I'm turning it over to you. I want you to call the shots. I want you to give me guidance. Help me to fulfill the purpose for which you created me. I want to live for you, and I want to be the person that you created me to be. There is hope. The one who is himself all-wise delights to give his wisdom to his children who ask for it with a trusting heart. Have you asked God for wisdom lately? For your marriages, to parent your children, to help you on the job. We need to ask for wisdom to deal with difficult relationships. Ask the wisdom to be a light for others. Is anybody here today honestly willing to admit that you lack wisdom? Then our message to you is ask. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari.